Hello, it is Friday, July 24th. I'm sitting here currently in the studio recording because we're going to do an MLB watch-along for opening night last night. The game obviously ended early because of torrential downpour, but we got some great conversations with you. Sean Casey's coming on, among other people, and sitting on a TV screen right across the room from me, Mr. A.J. Hawk. A.J., you never get a chance to be a part of this part of the podcast. People are listening here very beginning of the show. Do you want to say anything to anybody that has listened to the podcast and heard our bantering for the last couple months no i don't think i have a whole lot for you pat right now (laughs) all right let's get to the show thank you aj i am pumped for this joining us now super bowl champion football legend rex ryan hey how are you rex I'm doing great, Pat. Man, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. I can't wait to chat with you. Let's dive right into it. I see you got a Texas Rangers jersey on. You pumped for the MLB to come back. Yeah, absolutely. My boy, Lance Lynn, takes the bump opening day for the Rangers. <laughs> you know, that's my guy, man. Six foot six, 280. Should be playing D tackle, but he's on the bump for the Rangers. Last year, 16 wins he had, 250 strikeouts. Go get him, big boy. The rest of the league is going to pitch like three or four innings. He'll go eight his first time out. <laughs> How do you know this dude? Do you, have you met this guy? Nah, yeah, I play golf with him all the time. Uh, I'm real good buddies with his dad. And, uh, you know, I've, I've met Lance several times. He, he's a great young man. And, and um, you know, it's funny because last year, I mean, he literally, uh, you know, he got in at all this spin BS stuff that they do now. But it worked, man. He, uh, he released the ball about a foot further, and, and like I say, he was uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball. So he's 32 years old, kind of reinvented himself, and and uh, he's the ace of that staff right now. Look at – hey, Rex, everybody thinks you're just some meathead dumb football guy. Listen to this. Yeah. Pat, hold up. Let me just show you something real quick. Please do. You guys see oh! All oh! See all that? Oh, I see yeah. a couple. Oh! Hey! Wow. I want to tell you. Dude, I miss my calling. You know, give me the Yankees, the Mets, Rangers, whoever. I'm available. <laughs> I got this nice ESPN gig, but come on, man. Bench coach? I'm all about the bench coach. Yeah, I get it. I was a bad football coach. But, man, <laughs> no. baseball, I'd be kicking butt. Okay, let's talk about what you just said there. I love the, obviously, self-deprecating uh, jokes there. But you are a great head coach. I think people forget about that because of how incredible your personality is. Sometimes charisma and personality can camouflage a lot of hard work and success. It happens with a lot of people. But whenever you were the head coach of the Jets, I mean, at the Colts, we were one of the greatest teams I've ever seen. I think the NFL ever seen and you guys gave us problems on numerous occasions and that never gets talked about now about how rex ryan successful head coach now i don't know what happened with buffalo but you're in the patriots division which we'll talk about soon but you are a successful head coach are you ever going to get back into that do you ever have the itch to get back into head coaching you know pat i'm not sure like i was 500 with the bills so i don't know if expectations were higher than that maybe they were because we had no draft picks or anything else but long list of excuses but, uh, hey no excuses doing a good job there now. hey i'm not making any excuses i'm i'm not making any i'm not making any excuses i mean we didn't no, have any draft picks you, i'm not you making know, it. I, I appreciate it um you know you never say never i'd obviously i jump at any opportunity i go uh, you know get a startup team in alaska if they if they paid me enough, but, um, <laughs> but quite honestly, I love doing what I'm doing. And, and, you know, we have a heck of a time on Mondays, you know, doing that show. And then, uh, Sunday countdown show, 
you know, with my whole crew, with with, with Sam and, and Hasselback, your boy Matt and, and uh, Brewski and Randy Moss. We got too many Patriots there, but I love those guys. You grew up, obviously, in a legendary football family, right? I mean, your dad, one of the greatest legends in the game's history, your brother's still coaching. You knew that you were going to be a football coach your entire life? Yeah, I, I really did, Pat. I knew I wasn't worth a shit as a player, so <laughs> I was like, uh, I, I can't play, so I might as well coach. But no, nah, I love the game, and it was something I grew up around it, man. I was, uh, my brother and I would be like, you know, they gave us all the, the jobs that nobody else wanted. Like, we literally painted all the goalposts, painted the sleds, did everything where, um, you know, we're in the equipment room forever. And this is back when, you know, it's probably illegal. You know, we were probably like 10, 12 years old and they pay us like, you know, 50 cents an hour or whatever. But either way, we grew up around it. And the, I guess we're like, no, you know, the, the same as anybody else in, in the business. You grow up, you idolize your father. And we basically joined the, the family business, which was coaching football. And, and I'm proud to say now I have a son uh, that that's you know coaching with the Chargers. He's in his fourth season with the Chargers. So really proud of that. And like I say, I can't do a whole hell of a lot in this world, but I think I was blessed with the ability to coach. And obviously, um, you know, under my dad's guidance and and all that, gave me a heck of a head start. Let's talk about your coaching style because whenever you became the head coach of the Jets, I don't think everybody knew who you were. And you came in, and it was okay. We got a guy now in the NFL coaching ranks that is hilarious, has charisma, has confidence, and has completely flipped the entire narrative that you have to compliment the other team, you have to do this. And one of your biggest targets was obviously the greatest dynasty in the history of the NFL, the Patriots. If you had to go back to the way that you kind of came in as a head coach for the Jets, would you do anything differently? And was there any rhyme or reason to why? Was that just you being you, or was there anything deeper than that in your mind? No, probably a little deeper than that. I, I think when I went in there, first off, I was waiting for the opportunity. And it's just like it took me all those years to be uh, to become a coordinator. You know, they, they hired a receiver coach to be a coordinator instead of me. You know, so it's <laughs> like I knew how great I was, but nobody else did. <laughs> but I just waited for my chance. And I knew if I had a chance that I was and, – and I figured I'd only get one shot. You know, that, hey, I was going to go out and I was going to be me. And when I went to the Jets, all I kept hearing was the same old Jets, same old Jets. And I made dang sure. Look, my dad, you know, one of these Super Bowl things back there is my dad. Oh, yeah, and yeah, Super Bowl so things. You, yeah. you know, he was there for, I think, eight seasons or nine, I think eight seasons there as a coach. His first year was Super Bowl three. So, you know, the Jets always were my team growing up. And I took a great deal of pride. I was fortunate. I had a couple opportunities to to be a head coach, and I chose the Jets. And it was really a smart decision because the first thing we did is we had to let Brett Favre go. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you never told me that? Like, you know, but because uh, we couldn't afford him. And so when I went there, it's like we had no quarterback, man. And I was like, well, shoot, I got to let people know that, no, we're, we're going to come in there. We're going to punch your lights out. Because I knew I had a great corner. That's one thing I knew. And I had watched him on tape. I had a, a tough-ass guy named Chris Jenkins. Albeit he only played like six games for me, unfortunately. Because imagine if that dude was healthy. He would have been ugly. But um, 
but I knew I had a couple of pieces there, and I was going to bring in a couple more guys that knew what I wanted to do defensively. I thought we could fix that overnight. And so I was like, hey, guess what? We're, we're coming in here, and we're going to be more physical than you, and we're going to bloody your nose, and, 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 we don't, and we're not going to apologize for it. So I knew what I had. You know, and I love how everybody says, well, you're ground and pound. Yeah, you'd be ground and pound, too, if you never had a quarterback. <laughs> like, how else are they supposed to win? You know, so, you know, yeah, we were going to do it. But on defense, I, I thought we'd fix it, and we did. We went from 23rd in the league, the first in the league uh, that first season. So we did a great job. I had a great coaching staff, ridiculous coaching staff. And, you know, when you have uh, uh, Bill Callahan as, as your offensive line coach, Mike Westoff was there. Special and Pat, teams. you know that this oh, guy yeah. might be the the greatest special team coach in the history. I certainly, you know, maybe I'm biased, but that's how I feel about it. So I had his old butt with me. He was awesome, and and I had a lot of great guys there. Brian Schottenheimer was there, and then I brought in Mike Petten, Dennis Thurman, all my boys, and it was like it was on. And so we certainly weren't afraid. But don't kid yourself. I knew what we were up against. <laughs> yeah, you know, and. I wanted them to know that we weren't just going to lose by, you know, by being intimidated by him, that, that you were going to have to beat us. Okay, let's talk about that franchise that is still going, by the way. That man that you're referring to is Bill Belichick, yes. and the AFC East has ran through Foxborough. Uh, well, by the way, you guys, AFC Championship game a couple times, you kind of put a halt to it there for a little bit. But what I'm talking about is somehow, someway, Bill Belichick pulls a rabbit out of his hat at all times. Now he's got Cam Newton for $1 million, and he was unemployed for 86 days. There was 31 other teams that could have signed him, Rex. Nobody did. Now Bill Belichick has a pissed-off Cam Newton. What are your thoughts on how that has all played out? Well, my thought is, Pat, if this guy really is Cam Newton, if Cam Newton really is the same Cam Newton, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I can do it again. And uh, my first thought initially was, this league can't be that stupid. There's no way. Agreed. So there, there has to be. I mean, these, these talk, you know, doctors talk all that. There's no way he's healthy. I mean, if he's healthy, it's absolutely ridiculous that no other team took him. You know, and then Belichick's the smartest guy of all time because he gets this dude for a million bucks like that. It's, it's amazing. Now, let's not forget, though, Pat, they've done it to a lot of veterans in the past. I remember I was trying, and I get pissed because I tried to bring Ocho Cinco at the time. He's a hell of a lot better receiver when he was Chad Johnson. But Chad Johnson, <laughs> Thomas, Tim Tebow, they brought all these guys in. And what they do? They cut every one of them. So could this be one, one way of, hey, we're going to show you how – the team's bigger than the individual. We're going to cut this guy. I hope that's not the case. I hope they give Cam Newton a legitimate chance, and if he's healthy, he'll win that job, and he's going to win a ton of games. I agree, and I think that at the way Cam Newton is, it just feels like he, he strives off of emotion. You know, like Cam Newton is an emotional guy if you watch him play. And by the way, a lot of people in the past have judged players and coaches that are like that. I'm an emotional guy. I run, I'm a, I'm a revenge guy. I'll put a chip on my shoulder. Cam Newton's the same way. It feels like he's potentially going to be his best, Rex. And that is just insane to think that. Yeah, I know. It, it is. He's motivated, highly motivated and pissed off. It's not good. Let's pivot though and talk about the NFL. With what you're hearing, 
You've been in the NFL a long time. Your dad, obviously, since Super Bowl three, you've been in the NFL world. I've always had the thought that, especially now, if Rob Manfred, okay, your guy over in baseball commissioner who puts his foot in his mouth more than any other commissioner in the history of sports, if he's able to figure it out, in the NHL is able to figure it out, in the NBA, in the MLS, and you talk about this, in the NFL, if they somehow can't figure this whole thing out, they're going to look worse than ever. You think the NFL is going to figure this out, right? I mean, this we're going to no, have yeah. an NFL season for sure. Pat, they have to. Yeah, I agree. And, and like you say, if all these other sports – and we can call them what they are, minor league sports. <laughs> it's all about the NFL, baby. You know that it's what it's all about. Hell yeah. They can't stand it. All those basketball players make five, you know, $100 million apiece. I get it, dude. Congratulate yourself. But, man, nobody cares about those other sports. <laughs> when you look at it, it's I'm the only day, only guy that cares about baseball. You know what I mean? There's there's guys, but and, and I get it, there's a lot of guys care about basketball. But let's face it. The NFL was up against the NBA. The NBA was in their their uh, championship, you know, series. The NFL was in preseason, and the preseason outdrew the dang championship. So the NFL is so dang popular that this is the only sport that, that quite honestly, and, and it's not because I mean I I love baseball. I can't love wait it. For You're wearing a jersey, start, obviously. Yeah. yeah, but but quite honestly. The NFL has to play. If all these other ones can do it, and by the way, tip my hat to Dana White because I love yeah. those, watching those fights. He, he once he get go buy yourself a damn island or something <laughs> like that, put him out there. But whatever they have to do, and look, the the NFL players and 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 the coaches and the owners and everybody else are really you know they're going to have to make sacrifices. The NFL family, you know, the the wives, the children, they may have to make a lot of sacrifices. But at the same time, we need football. Our country needs football, and by gosh, get out there and, and play it. And we're all, you know, we're behind you all the way, and we understand the sacrifices you're making and things. And but that's here. And to me, it's if they don't play, the only way the NFL can lose popularity if they somehow screw this up. And if you're the coach of a team, and obviously distractions are. Rules number one through 10 in a locker room for a coach. Keep the distractions out of here. That's why you see Tim Tebow not get signed because everybody knew that the distractions were going to come with him potentially. Colin Kaepernick didn't get signed for a long time because either they were told not to sign him or the distractions would come. There is a lot of players that have fell into the distraction department for why they don't get signed because distractions, it's already hard enough to win a game in the NFL. Distractions are a problem. If you're coaching a team right now, it's only distractions at the moment. You're getting tested every single morning. You've got to change your clothes upon arrival. Only a certain amount of people are allowed in a room. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. When you go home, you get, how do you handle that? Like, what's your message to the team day one? And, and even any Zoom calls going into this thing? Well, I think the great thing is your message ought to be that, hey, look, we got this figured out. Like, <laughs> I would jump in, Pat, like, oh, dude, all the other teams are going to be screwed we got it figured out, dude. I got it right here. Like, this is crazy. I'm done with the guys. I'm going to let them think. I'm going to sell that. Oh, my God. We got the, the 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 serial number of the unknown soldier. Dude, we got it. <laughs> and that's going to give us an edge. Like, we got them. And then fly by the dang seat of your pants if you have to. But you're going to sell it and sell it and sell it because that's what it is. Like, And, and we're going to take care of you. We're going to let my team think that, oh, we got all the dang answers. The rest of them, I don't know about the rest of them, but we got the answers for them. <laughs>
Rex, Pat's talked a, much, a bunch about how these veteran players are going to love playing no preseason games, but how are the coach, head coaches going to feel about no preseason games, and how hard is it going to be like for a rookie head coach going into this season with no preseason games? Yeah, I mean, you know, rookie head coaches, because they never hired me, who gives a crap? About <laughs> they, uh, but, nah, you know what? You've got all this time. You, you've got it built up. You have time to get your teams prepared. Guys, we see it in the college football season forever. You know, these were it was a convenient time. Back in the day when they had all these preseason games, that was to get the players in shape. Now these kids are working out all the time. You know, it, it's not as it's not gonna be as bad as you think. I do have a feeling though that look, the players obviously don't want preseason games. And quite honestly, I don't think the owners really want preseason games uh, also. I'm not so sure that next time they have that collective bargaining, are we going to go for an 18-game schedule and mm. no preseason games with two buys? For some reason, that's what I think is getting ready to happen. So let's go ahead and do it. Look, we I remember I was talking to uh, to um, you got to hit Dennis the red Thurman, button. Rex, hit the red buddy, button. Rex, hit the red button ago. on your phone. Rex, hit the red button. Well, got it. You good there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got you. You know me. I don't know how to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but DT told me, he's like, look, man, uh, they, had, they were in the strike. I believe it was 92. And that was the year they played two games, two regular season games. They go on strike for two and a half months, come right back in. Here we go. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it could be done. And, and I, you know, I think there's going to have, you know, obviously the, there's going to be more players, uh, per, you know, on a roster and things. So I think it's just going to be good. But, you know, maybe we're not going to be as sharp initially when the season starts, but they'll work into it. And I just think what you have to sell your players is, like, we can't just put a day in. You know, you you got to get some work in. And, look, they're going to have scrimmages against each other. That's the only way to get it done. If you don't tackle anybody going into that first game, it's going to oh, be embarrassing. Yeah. But I think you're going to have scrimmages that's just going to be against yourself. Let's talk about the veteran quarterbacks who I think are definitely favored in this situation, right? Because they've organized workouts. They potentially text message call. They've been there, done that with not only being a professional, but guiding others around them. Tom Brady goes down to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with BA, okay? And they have all those weapons, but it's a new offense for Tom. It's new verbiage for everything. Do you think he's going to struggle at all down there? Or do you think, bang, we're back, Tom Brady? Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in a good spot. Well, Pat, you bring up a great point. I, I don't truly, I don't think it's going to be necessarily BA's offense. I think it's going to be Tom Brady's offense. So, <laughs> to me, I think they're going to they're going to have that marriage, and I'm sure they already have it to, to where it comes in. Oh, Tom called it this. Oh, guess what, guys? We're going to call it this. Let let's that's that's the critical point, and that's what you do. I remember we did that. Brian Billick, we brought in Steve McNair. We were kind of struggling. Jim Fossil was our offensive coordinator, and we were trying to run that offense. And then Billick couldn't stand it any long, longer, fired him, brought Steve in, and I think we set a record for most first downs in, in, in a half one time against New Orleans. We spanked them. But it was it was like, oh, hey, this works. When we had Steve's, you know, Steve McNair's offense, it works pretty good. So to me, I think that's what we're going to see in Tampa and, man, with those receivers, oh, it's going to be fun to watch. How's Bowles' defense? Because last year at the beginning of the season, they stunk. Then by the end, they turned it around completely. Do you expect more of that, especially because it's a veteran defensive coordinator? 
Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that Todd Bowles is there, and Todd's, you know, Todd's actually a real a real coach. You know, like some of these guys, they come in. I'm like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> you know, it's like what? Oh, he, he coached one year. And, oh, good luck. You know, where Todd Bowles is legit. I mean, this is a, a former head coach, an outstanding coordinator, and, and I, I like him. He's he's a good guy, and and uh, and he gets after it. So to me, it, it took a little time, and it went. Steve Spagnola, boy, they couldn't stop a nosebleed early in the year, but time came on and they got better and better as the season went on. So um, some of the veteran coordinators, um, eventually they're going to catch their stride. You know, if the young guys are terrible to start with, they're going to remain terrible. That's what we saw last year. You know, so um, I, I think, and I always get, oh, it's a new league. Man, it's still 11 on 11 football. I don't need to hear that garbage. The fact that you don't know how to attack protections, you don't know how to be multiple in coverage, that's your own damn fault. But the guys like Todd Bowles, uh, people like that, they get it. And so to me, it's, um, you know, I expect that team to, you know, to to really be a a threat in that NFC. Okay. They got obviously the Saints to deal with. Last question before we let you go, and I can't thank you enough. You're not going to have one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of the NFL on and not ask about, do you expect Lamar Jackson to have the same amount of success next year as he had last year? Now, remember, the Wildcat came to Miami, and it was this new thing. The Wildcat was going to take over the NFL, and then it disappeared, completely disappeared. Then, obviously, Michael Vick had his run of just being Michael Vick. He's a completely different specimen. It's Michael Vick. Lamar Jackson, though, feels like he's a guy who has the athleticism and the ability to pass the ball, and the Baltimore Ravens organization has gone all in with him. Three tight end sets. We have all these blockers. We have 10 people blocking one runner. Do you think Lamar Jackson has the same amount of success he had last year or more, or do you think defensive coordinators who get paid a lot of money are going to be able to figure it out? I don't think you have the coordinators that you used to have. And so, like, to me, all those offenses, I used to love going against them. Um, you know, like you, you mentioned him, it's like, oh, whatever. Because <laughs> I mean, most of the guys, you had that experience going against, all it is is option football, and it's the same thing that you've stopped for 100 years. At least that's the way you used to, to be brought up in the game. You know, I, I coached eight years of, of college football before I ever got in the NFL. So you see all those offenses. Um, it was interesting. Dean Pease talked about he used to be at, at Navy, and he ran some of that Navy defense in that playoff game against uh, oh. Lamar Jackson. Oh. Now, when you really look at it, and he did a good job there, but Lamar Jackson accounted for 500 yards in that game, <laughs> combined <laughs> rushing and passing. So I don't think he stole them. <laughs> so I think Lamar Jackson, to answer your question, I think Lamar Jackson's going to have a heck of a year and you know, just uh, understand that the one thing you can't defend is a quarterback who's athletic like that. Half of his yards are from impro- you know improvising. You know, some are design runs and all that. I get it, but there's other ones when he just takes it and like, you know what? I'm going to make three guys miss. <laughs> like he is such a special talent, and, and I'm glad I don't have to stop that dude. <laughs> yeah, you keep talking about him on ESPN in beautiful fashion. And I said that was going to be the last question, but a guy just signed for a half a billion dollars, and he has Andy Reid drawing up plays. What? How do you stop the Kansas City Chiefs? They have weapons on top of weapons with speed on top of speed and an offensive line that can go man-to-man if it has to be. That feels like an offense that might get going here for the next five to ten years of being unstoppable. Yeah, those are ones like if I'm the coordinator that week <coughs> – I'm faking it. 
care. Hey, I got, I'm sick. I got the flu. I got, and it's not funny to say, so I won't say the obvious. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm coughing. Yeah. But whatever it takes, dude, I ain't coaching that game. You know what? Hey, if I, hey, Mike Petton, hey, Petton, you got this game. I'm going to let you have this game. And he'd be, we'd be fist fighting because he don't want to stop him either. But no, seriously, he is. It's, he's such a talent, man. So good. He's making a billion dollars and he's underpaid. <laughs> uh, but you're right that the offense itself is a really good offense. Yet that dude at quarterback, Pat Mahomes, the most special gifted quarterback I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of him come come through. And and then you mentioned like look at the receivers. You got one of the best tight ends in the game, Travis Kelsey. Sammy Watkins a throw in. Hey, talk about him. You know, a throw away for the, people. He's a throw in. I'm like, really? They gave up 100 picks when I got the Buffalo Force. <laughs> so to me, it's like, you know, then they what they do? Well, you know, we don't really have a running back. Oh, they drafted that kid from LSU. Now it's like, oh, we can't cover him either. So to me, it is it is such a great offense to watch. and. And it's fun as heck. But I think the only way you could really stop it is you've got to mix it all, man. You've got to challenge them. You've got to challenge them mentally. You've got to challenge the protection. And, you know, challenge this offensive line. You've got to challenge those receivers to make side adjustments. You've got to do all those type of things. And you can't give free access to them. And, and I think you challenge them. One team that I think will challenge them would be Baltimore. But we've seen them get beat a couple of times by Kansas City, but I know they'll challenge him. Belichick has had success against it because he takes away, uh, you know, some of the RPO stuff and, and things and and, uh, uh, and has some guys that can match up. So, uh, I, you know, it's going to be tough, though, man. There's so many options that this football team has. San, Fr- San Francisco is doing a great job in the yeah. Super Bowl. And then they make the mistake of – putting Richard Sherman out there, man coverage against Sammy Watkins. And Richard's one of the greatest guys of all time, one of the greatest DBs ever when he's playing on top man. But if you put him in a man-to-man situation like Darrell Revis has told him ever for 20 years, 10 years now, it's a different game. And he just got outrun. But that's sometimes you can't help yourself. You know, you're trying to mix it. I thought they did a decent job. But at the end of the day, they, they saw the matchup they wanted, and then, boom, they exploited it. So, to me, it's, it's such a such a challenge against that football team. Darrell Rivas, uh, greatest corner of all time, but he and Sherman, two very different types of corners, so hard to judge. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Richard Sherman. I, I do. But if you're, if you're talking about a guy, a straight man cover guy that can go in the slot, play right, left, do all that type of stuff, there's no – um, Darrell Revis might have had the greatest year I've ever seen in the history of the game at corner. And and let's, by the way, don't forget Deion Sanders. Oh. He wasn't all bad either. And I had the <laughs> pleasure of coach. He could play. I had him when he was 37 years old. He still could play. So there's been some great ones. But I think for one season, if you had to say who had the greatest season ever as a corner, I'll, I'll still take Darrell Revis uh, my first year with the Jets. Or my second year with the Jets. (laughs) Well, if you ever get back into head coach, and I'll go kick some balls again, too. I'd love to play for a team that you coach. You are hilarious, electric, and a wealth of knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, from ESPN, Super Bowl champ. One of those Super Bowl (laughs) things behind him. Rex Ryan. Yeah, Yeah, Rex! Rex! Woo!
Thank you, Rex. We appreciate you, brother. All right. My pleasure, Pat. We'll see you, buddy. Hey, congrats on learning FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> big day, big day. I had to teach him that yesterday. He is a legend. So sorry to interrupt, but I need to tell you about the greatest shorts to ever exist. Okay, everybody knows I got big thighs. Skies out, thighs out. Quad father. All these things. So finding shorts is not easy. It's not easy to find shorts that fit. It's not easy to find things that are comfortable and move with me and have the liner inside that acts as boxer briefs, but is even more comfortable because it's not actually a part of the... You get it. It is bird dogs. Bird dogs are gym shorts with a built-in silky soft inner liner that makes underwear obsolete. Ha! Obsolete! They also make the best pants that I've ever worn. When you put these shorts on, you're going to be like, hey, I understand way back in the day, way back in the day, they tried to make the bathing suits that had the thing that held your kit and caboodle together. They were trying to eliminate underwear so you didn't have to get your underwear wet when you jumped in the pool. Well, Bird Dogs came along, revolutionized it, and made the most comfortable thing ever. You don't have to put on underwear, and you can wear these shorts in the gym. You can wear them in the pool, and you can even wear them to an office meeting if you have to. They look damn good, and the pants are fantastic as well. Right now, you go to birddogs.com and enter promo code PAT, and they'll throw in a free pair of nunchucks. Yup. You heard it. Nunchucks. You'll get an actual murder weapon along with your pair of bird dogs. That's birddogs.com, promo code PAT, and boom, free pair of nunchucks with your pair of bird dogs. You will not take these things off, I promise you. They are fantastic. I worked out on them today. I'll sleep in a pair tonight. You'll enjoy the hell out of them. Birddogs.com, promo code PAT. You get a free pair of nunchucks. Hey! Hey, there's a guy that was watching the show, AJ, that just joined us. Do you, know, do you know who this legend is? I don't know. <laughs> the mayor, Sean Casey. Yeah! 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 What's up, boys? Woo! What's up? <laughs> Sean, how you I love it. Uh, Sean, how you doing? Thank you for joining us on your family vacation right now. Ball is back. You got to feel good. Oh, I'm feeling great. You kidding me? I just, I'm glad baseball's back and I'm just uh, enjoying watching the game, listening to AJ and you like talk a little bit, you know, try and break down some baseball stuff. So I love it. Hey, uh, Sean, so I, I grew up in, in Centerville, Ohio, big Reds fan growing up my whole life. Loved your everything that you did for the team and everything you've done in the league and what you're doing now. But Pat didn't know about your whole in between pitches, your unstrapping, your, your gloves, your whole situation that you had. <laughs> Pat had no idea. I was like, what do you mean? Like, everybody in the world knows about Sean Casey's little routine. What'd you do? Just take 20 minutes in between each and Can you do it a little bit for us? Well, I used to, well, that's what I used to do. AJ's right. I used to, like, double chicken wing, right? Double chicken wing. <laughs> then I used to stretch out like this, double hammer, because I was one of the slowest guys baseball's ever seen, so I had to stretch out the hammer. <laughs> boom to the right, boom to the left. Then I'd get in there, do my gloves, and then I would get in the box and do one of the weirdest things you've ever seen in your life. I would lift my back leg. Like this. <laughs> I had I had Don I had Don Zimmer uh Don Zimmer one day come up to me uh, when I was with the Reds and he was with the Yankees. He's like, Case, I've been in the game fifty four years. I've seen a lot of things in my day. Guys lifting their front legs. I ain't never seen anybody lift up their back leg. And I was like, Well, Don, you see now listen real quick. When I was on deck, Don Zimmer would be in the other dugout with the Yankees. And he would yell out, sitting next to Joe Torrey, Hey, Case, do it for Joe! 
and I'd be on deck like a zoo animal like this. Hey, Joe, what do you think, Joe? Is this funny? It's unbelievable. Is that every pitch? Or is it- yeah, every pitch. It was phenomenal. AJ Ray, I don't know. I, I, it just needed to do it, guys. Why am I on my knees on this show? Why am I on my knees on this show? Are you on your knees? Where are you? You're on vacation right now? Yeah, I'm in the back room on vacation, yeah. We're up in Avalon, New Jersey, dominating the waves, guys. Kenny Power style. <laughs> yeah! So let me get this straight. It was a chicken wing. Okay, so you chicken wing. Why is this? To stretch out the shoulders? Stretch out the shoulder. Boom. Both rotators. Yep. Then you get the hammies. Yep. Right hammy, then left hammy. Have to do it, obviously. Gloves. Then, the ba- then you got to go boom, boom on the batting gloves. Yep. Yep. And then you got to lift. Yeah, then you got to lift the back leg. There you go, bro. You could have done it. I feel like I'm Sean Casey. By the way, if I was a professional uh, baseball player, even if I ever get to play again, I'm having the most ridiculous in-between pitch routine in the history of the game. I might, when he pitches it, just look at it and walk backwards and just start the entire (laughs) I might just start doing the entire How did you build to that? How did you build to that? You know what? It started when I was in when I was in high school. I started the batting gloves. My dad would only my dad would buy me one pair of batting gloves. I'm like, Dad, can't we afford some more pairs? Like, I'm, I'm dying here. And I go, <laughs> I go hit. It was so sweaty. I had to like tighten them as tight as they would go, cut off my circulation. So that's how that started. And then I was so tight. My my hammies. I had to stretch them all the time. And then when I got into pro ball, my hip was bothering me. So I start popping my hip. <laughs> Seriously. I swear to God, that's why I did it. And then I, and then I started raking a little bit, like double, double homer. I'm like, I got to keep doing this. It's working. It's working. I got to keep doing it. <laughs> you know? First first inning, Giancarlo Cruz, Michael Stanton took a ball out of the D.C. area into Baltimore. He has stunk for the Yankees is what everybody says. But they're thinking that because of the quarantine, that that there's no fans, there's no real media. He's kind of got a chance to clear his head from the viciousness of New York City and being a Yankee. And this could be, like, great for him. If the first night you hit a ball into fucking orbit when the entire world is watching, that has to be a massive confidence boost going into the 60-game season. Well, especially off Scherzer too. I mean, Scherzer hung him one, and I mean, he hit four sixty in the gap, and that was that was that was covered. But don't forget, a couple years ago when Stanton won the MVP, you know, I don't know how many homers he hit. It, I think it was in like a ninety game period, he hit like forty something homers. So this guy has been one of the best players in the game. Didn't start off great from that first couple of days in New York, but this guy's a powerhouse. Now he's settling in. But that, if that's anything of what's going to come in the next two months, pretty impressive. Sean, what, I know you, they're probably, you didn't have many slumps during your career. You probably ended your career with 14,000 hits, it seemed like. Did you ever do anything weird? Or like you, we always talk about baseball and the superstitious and all the, the weird stuff that goes on. Like, what did you do to, to break out of a slump? Oh, my gosh, AJ, a lot of weird stuff, dude. Baseball players are weird, bro. It's just, it's just yeah. you're like putting on the socks the same way. I remember one time when I was in, uh, I was in Detroit, and, and I was raking. I, for some reason, I was, I was like three hits two hits three hits four hits and i it was like i had this undershirt and i was like i can't wash this shirt oh like, and it and it started getting bad it started smelling like hot garbage like in july I was like, <laughs> oh my god it's disgusting so like the the seventh game i wore it we're in minnesota justin morneau he gets a knock to right he comes the first he's like wait what's up case i'm like hey what's up morning he's like he's like uh 
is that you? I'm like, what? He's like, you smell terrible. I'm like, oh my god, bro, it's just starting to smell now. I go, there's like 15 hits in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, did you chirp a lot at first base? Oh, yeah, I was. Tri- well, I figured it. I only wait reason I played so many years in the big leagues because I can play first base and talk to everybody. You know what I mean? Pat, you'd have to be you'd have to be a first baseman, bro. If you were a center fielder, your career would have been over in like six months. Like, <laughs> boom, you can't talk to people. Mac and fees out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're like a mayor over there, right? Because everybody, you can't be mad at anybody. You kind of everybody just sees there. There's no reason to shit talk. I assume there are some great relationships that are potentially built over there on first base. Oh, my gosh. You kidding me? Great relationships. I got to know everybody over there, which was great. I remember, though, my third week in the big leagues was right in 98, was like right in the middle of a McGuire-Sosa race, right? And I was like, oh, man. And I was like a little kid. You know, I'm like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here for because I came out the gates pretty cold. So I'm like, they're going to send me down any day. So I'm like, I got to see how many conversations I can get in with guys. So (laughs) this one day, day game in Cincy, we we walked McGuire four, four pitches. I'm like... Oh, yeah, baby. Let me, let me go up there and see if I get a quick conversation with Big Mac. So I walk up. We're in Cincy. I'm like, hey, what's up, Mac? He's like, hey, what's up, Sean? I was like, yes! I know my name. I was like, big time. So next thing I know, I go to hold him on. And Jack McKeon's like, hey, hey, play behind him. I'm like, oh, man, I don't get a conversation with McGuire. So, boom, I play behind him. But about three innings later, he comes up again. Boom, we walk him again. Here comes McGuire. And all I could think to myself was, I'm not even looking over at the dugout. I'm going right to first base. <laughs> the so I go walking over, and I look up like, hey, what's up, Big Mac? You know, hey, way to swing it, man. It's such a great summer. I'm, like, turning into this ultra fan. This guy's like, this guy's so annoying, I, you know. So anyway, I'm talking to McGuire. How's your son doing? Heard he's the bat boy, all this stuff. Well, as I'm talking to McGuire, the dugout's like, McKeon's like, hey, play behind him, Case. But I don't hear him. I'm so locked into McGuire. I don't hear anybody. I don't even know there's a major league game going on. I'm just talking to McGuire. So now the whole dugout's like, play behind him, play behind him. So then McGuire says to me, hey, Case, I think the dugout wants you. I turn around. Freaking place is going nuts. They're like, we said play behind him, you idiot. You know, you're so Hey Sean, did your uh, did the pitchers ever get mad at you for getting being so chummy with guys after they walked somebody or gave up a hit? No, they never got mad at me. Um, one time, one time I uh, I was holding on Henry Rodriguez when we first came up. So AJ, I, I think they were more they were more they loved me more because Ron Ballone was on the mound. I don't, I don't even remember Big Rig Ron Ballone. Ron Ballone's on the mound. He's a lefty. I just come up to the big league, so I don't really know anybody yet. I don't know their moves. Henry Rodriguez comes in from Montreal. And, you know, back in the day, I don't know if you remember, when, when Henry Rodriguez used to homer in Montreal, they'd throw the O. Henry bars onto the field. They'd be like, 9,000 O. Henry bars on the field <laughs> when Henry Rodriguez homer. So he comes he comes to first base. Sorry, I'm getting a call. He comes to first base, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, hey, hey uh, Henry, he gets his lead. He go, I go, Henry, it's so cool, man, when you homer in Montreal and they throw those O. Henry bars on the field, that's unbelievable. So as I'm holding them on, he turns to me, he's like, Hey, thanks a lot. And as he turns and looks at me, Ron Below, boom, step off, picks over. I catch the ball, and I'm like, oh, my God, man, my bad. I was like, I don't even know this guy's move. I got you're out. <laughs> 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 that, pitch, 
<laughs> Big Rig Ron probably thought you that you had a little hustler over there on the first base. We got a guy that is deceptive over there. He will distract anybody <laughs> if we get him the ball. That's amazing. Uh, Ronnie Valone loved it. He's like, keep doing it, Case, as long as we're picking guys up. But that, I never did that. That was the only time I ever did that. I felt bad about it. I'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Who's somebody that was a terrible conversation? Anybody like, hey, fuck you? <laughs> oh yeah, when I right when I all this happened, when I first got to the big leagues. Ricky Henderson, four oh. four pitches with the Mets. I'm like, hey man, great eye. He looked at me like, hey, why don't you shut up? We <laughs> <laughs> stole second, like next set, boom, <laughs> gone. Right. And the only other the only other guy that like I remember Milton Bradley. Remember Milton Bradley? He had a good attitude, great attitude. <laughs> anyway, he got his first knock in Montreal. He comes to first base, and I was like, you know, up on the screen, they got, you know, hey, first career major league hit. So I'm trying to be a nice guy. I'm like, hey, Milton, congratulations, man. That's really cool. You'll remember that forever. Hopefully your family's here, everything like that. He just turns and looks at me and says nothing. I'm like, really? That's how we're doing it? You're not going to say anything to me? <laughs> Clean it up. Clean it up. <laughs> Julian Edelman did that to me, by the way. I would go talk. I would talk to the other punt returners. So whenever, normally whenever you're warming up, you punt one way and the team punts the other way. So the other team's returners, because they're catching their own punter's balls, are standing normally like right next to you. And I would always, every single week, I am talking to them, telling them how good they are, how athletic they are. You're the best returner I've ever seen on tape. Hey, if we get in the open film or open field, please don't run me over. Just juke the shit out of me. Like I'd be like, I'm trying to like befriend them here, you know? So if we do get in the open field, at least they think like, oh, I don't want to step on this guy's face like uh like Antonio Brown did that to Spencer Landon. So I had a really good I had a really good run with everybody. Everybody was like very receptive, you know, it was very nice. It helped me out with Joshua Cribbs, because Joshua Cribbs tried to juke me instead of run me over. He definitely could have ran me over. I tackled him. He stood up, hit me on the helmet and said, I should have ran you over. And I was like, ah, ah, no, I hit him in the ass. But Julian Edelman, the first time he was back there, I think it was his rookie year. I had never played against him before. And he was standing next to me. I was like, man, I'll tell you what, your your center of gravity is impressive. You're obviously faster than anybody thinks you are. And I think you're going to be like the best returner in the fucking game if you really want to be. Looks at me, catches, looks back, catches the ball one-handed, okay? Does like a fake juke, has his helmet strap off, and then just runs away. And I was like, oh, this fucking guy's gone. <laughs> oh, this guy. And by the way, he took one back. He scored a touchdown on me that game. Scored a touchdown. It was unbelievable. But that was, that was a moment where I was like, this son of a bitch. What's up, Diggs? Sean, during rain delays like this, like what did you guys do in the locker room just to not lose your mind? Oh, I think a lot of guys would play cards. Now, guys, nowadays it seems like guys are on their phone all the time. But you know, back in the day, we used to play cards, and you know, yeah, guys would get you know games games of cribbage going and uh, cribbage and all that stuff. What's cribbage? I have no idea. I used to watch Terry Francona <laughs> jump in the court. <laughs> playing like cribbage. I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, That's a hell of a game. Sounds like a hell of a game. <laughs> He's AQ Shipley, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know AQ Shipley? No. Oh, he's from Moon Township. He was a center for the Arizona Cardinals. He's in like 12, year 12 or whatever. You two are the same people. You are the exact I, same people. <laughs> I think Pittsburgh has a lot of very yeah. similar humans. You and AJ. It really does. Yeah. I think it's a certain thing. And AJ's from uh, Ohio, so he's not really a Rust Belt guy, so he doesn't fully understand Pittsburgh guys. He's from Centerville, Ohio. Nice area out there, AJ. I know exactly where that is, brother. Nice area. Thank oh. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We used to go to, I used to go to Old Riverfront Stadium back in the day. Nice place. Oh, yeah, man. How long were you on the Reds, Sean? How long was I on the Reds? Yeah. Eight years. 
eight years, 98 to 2005. Most of my career was with the Reds. Great, unbelievable, unbelievable city, unbelievable time, man. It's How many managers great, did great, play? Great baseball fans, great place. A lot like Pittsburgh. Stay, you know, the Riverfront was the same thing as Three Rivers. And it's awesome. How many... Sean, how many different managers did you play for just on the Reds? Oh, boy, that's a great question. Started off with Jack McKeon. Don't forget anybody. Then it went to uh, Bob Boone for three years. Bob A. Of course, Bob A. And then it went to uh, Dave Miley. Dave Miley for like a year. Of course. Then it went to Jerry Nair for a year. And then they shipped me out of town to the (laughs) Buckos. You don't like Jerry, huh? Shipped you back home there. Get the hell out of Cincy. Yeah. This I'm like, Jerry, I just went to bat for you in the front office. You're going to trade me? That's not cool. Clean it up. <laughs> All right, Sean. This rain looks like it's not going to let up. This game seems to be over. Yankees win undefeated. Jean Carlo Cruz, Mikey Stanton hits a dinger. Aaron Judge is on his way to another $400 million. Derek Cole with a shaved face looked good. And Scherzer, you know, got pelted there at the end but had not a bad outing. Uh, hey, it was. A, it was. A, if it's over, it was a good first night. It was just good to see baseball. It's good to see Scherzer Cole going at it. It's good to see Stanton going deep. You, you, you know, you love to see that. Good to see Eaton go deep off Cole, and uh, just good to see baseball back, fellas. It's great to see baseball back. Amen, ladies and gentlemen, the mayor and legend from his family's vacation, ripping and shredding barrels <laughs> like he's Kenny Powers, Sean Casey. Hey, hey, Sean! He's the best, dude. Oh, the I man. Love I love him. Joining us now is a man who's a six-time pro bowler. His number's retired for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's an Eagles Hall of Famer, and he once signed a 12-year, $115 million deal with Andy Reid at the helm. Ladies and gentlemen, Donovan McNabb. Yeah! Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it wasn't five hundred and something million, but I'll take a hundred. So hey, hey, as you should, that is not a bad <laughs> deal. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's talk about that. Whenever you and your agent and the Eagles were talking about potentially that long term deal, how'd the conversation yeah. go? I would assume that you were excited for one hundred and fifteen million dollars, just like Patrick Mahomes was excited to hear the five hundred million dollar deal. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are like, "Oh, that's a bad deal for the player. It's a bad deal for the player." If I'm signing for 100 million i feel like that's a good deal and i might be wrong in there well you know you got to remember at a time in which i played you know uh drew bledsoe and i think uh brett Favre were the only two at that particular time who signed a hundred million dollar deal so uh, as we were d- kind of discussing contract uh you know the information was sent to me not about the actual uh money it was more of the years and 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 as you can see what dak prescott is going through at this particular time you don't really want to extend your contract because then you'll miss out the boat on really actually getting big, big money. Uh, and so that's why you see Dak Prescott going for a four-year. And at that particular time, remember, in 99 when I was drafted, there were a lot of seven-year contracts that were given out to a lot of guys. So I was fortunate enough in my fourth year to re-up and redo my deal, which extended me into that 12-year deal. Um, because, you know, with the money and all, it was great. Uh, but they wanted to lock you in so that they don't have to worry about me getting to the seventh or sixth year of my contract. And all of a sudden that 115 goes to 145 uh, because we've made it to so many NFC championships at that particular time. So it was smart business-wise for the Philadelphia Eagles. But also, as far as my agent was concerned, uh, he was able to grind out 
uh, and pull out as much money as we could, which led to me obviously getting through that deal and then getting another extension. Uh, so I can't complain by any means of what's going on. Yeah. you. By the way, that team was dominant to watch over there in Philadelphia. And let's not even talk about that chunky soup money. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Hey, that chunky soup. I mean, you, you know, everybody got to eat something. Warm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That was awesome. You and your mom, obviously, it's a very memorable uh, commercial and brand. And the business behind Donovan McNabb was an awesome one. And the way you played was so cool as well. I mean, Thank you. You, were a, you were an awesome player to watch, man. You were legitimately were an awesome player to watch uh what do you do now are you still around the game coaching uh uh analysts obviously what what are you what is donovan McNabb up to nowadays still doing some analytical work uh with a few networks i uh, do a few call-ins during the season uh just to kind of keep me busy um also doing some quarterback training out here in phoenix arizona uh so still trying to help the youth and stay involved in the game and try to prepare them for what life presents to them as they continue to get older uh i'm also coaching girls aau basketball uh, so my daughter's involved, oldest daughter's in basketball at this particular time. She's a high schooler going into her junior year. I have twins that are 11 uh, that are involved in sports. So dad is playing the daddy role in being um, Keanu Reeves in, in speed. I'm the bus driver, uh, driving them to each and every sports event uh, and then picking up lunch and then picking up dinner. So uh, it, it's exciting time, man. When you're retired, uh, I think my plan was already set. I wanted to go into media. I wanted to be that, that best dad, supportive. Uh, I got into coaching. I, I got into coaching and training. Um, and then just trying to be a dad to a bunch of bunch of girls on my girls' basketball team. Uh, and the same with some of these kids. So it's exciting, man. This is what retirement is all about. Hell yeah, giving back to the world. And we heard, we learned yesterday you live in Erlacher's community. Go say hello to him, everyone. No, 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 no. Erlacher lives in my community. Oh, oh, He just so happened to have the yellow jacket right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Let's talk about Andy Reid. Let's talk about yellow jackets. There's a guy who, after winning – now, you guys were so good, so good, but there was a lot of good teams back then. NFC Championship is nothing to sneeze at. I made the AFC Championship game twice, once my rookie year, then another time we lost by 50. We got boat race. It's not easy. Everybody's like, well, you know what? It's not easy at all. And you got to get no. lucky, too, with injuries. Yeah. There's a lot of luck that plays in that entire thing. And that's why the Patriots, what they've been able to do for the last 20 years, is so stupid because of how impossible it is. I think people forget that. But let's talk about Andy Reid. I agree. He wins the Super Bowl. He has Patrick Mahomes now for the next 12 years. What do you think life is like for Andy Reid now? Do you think that not winning a Super Bowl sat on him? For Do you think he ever thought about that? Or is he just the type of guy that's like, you know what? We'll just keep it going. Trust the process. Let's keep it moving. Well, you know what, uh, Andy and I still talk, um, you know, frequently, and it, it sits on you. I mean, no matter how what people say, I mean, I think of o o three o four when when we made it, it still bothers me. Of just a few throws in that game would have changed my life, and 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 you know, maybe I would have had a yellow jacket on at this particular point right now. But uh, I, I look at it in a sense for Andy, uh, it's the process. Nineteen ninety nine was his first head coaching job coming from Green Bay. Uh, and the way that we turned that organization around over a decade says a lot about not only uh, the players, but it starts with the head coach. You know, being a player's coach, having an offensive mind, bringing in the right defensive coordinators and the defensive coaches. Our coaching tree is sick. When you think about what we had uh, throughout my duration, you had John uh, you had John Harbaugh, who's the head coach of Baltimore Ravens. You had Sean McDermott, who was a quality control guy. Uh, he's the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. You had Ron Rivera, who was our Ooh. linebacker coach who is the head coach of the Washington Redskins. Yeah, Leslie Frazier, who was once a head coach in Minnesota, 
uh, who's the defensive coordinator now in the NFL. You have, I mean, the list, uh, yeah, Matt, Marty Mordenwig, you have Brad Childress, who was the head coach at that particular time. Yeah, David Culley, who's an offensive coordinator now, uh, who was the receiver coach with us at that particular time. I mean, the list goes on. Steve Spagnolia, who's the defensive coordinator with him Damn. in Kansas City, was with us. So we had a tree of coaches that were still young at that particular time, trying to make a mark for themselves, have now all flourished to become great, great coaches and great mentors. So what Andy has done, it isn't just bringing in big names uh, that have already been established. It was starting guys out low. So when we continue to develop together, all of a sudden, you look back on that, the 90s in general, I mean, really, I mean, I'll say the 2000s, the, the mid 2000s. I mean, it was only three great teams at that particular point that were consistent. It was us, it was Indy, and it was New England. So however you want to spill it out from head coaches to quarterbacks, I mean, the list goes on. So I'm just excited for Andy at this time. He gave me the opportunity to speak to the team that Thursday before the Super Bowl, and I was just real with him of just how life changes for you just in a matter of seconds, if you win or if you lose this Super Bowl game. And, you know, I remember talking to, to Damian Williams after the game, and he was just basically like, you know, we won this for you, man. Like, I know how it hurts you, but it, I, I'm just privileged to say I, we won this for you. So what was your – I didn't know you spoke to them on Thursday. That's a big deal. Like, the, the people that come speak to the team Super Bowl week, that is a massive deal. Did you prepare for that? Did you spit from the hip? How long did you talk? Was it at dinner? Was it a team meeting? I want to learn a little bit about this. Well, this was uh, this slides? Was the, the Did you have slides? Prime. Did you have slides up? Or are you like, hey, here we go? <laughs> no, no, you, yeah, no. I, I, I'm not getting all, you know. For, hey, here's what I did back in 2004. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what? It was just spitting from the hip, man, and just being real. Because I mean, we're we're all grown adults, Pat. You know that. I yep. mean, don't 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 give me the run around to try to give me the give me the old. I'm gonna get you hype speech. I was just real. I told him how we how we were in 2003, how we were in 2004, and that year leading to the Super Bowl and then getting to the game. But I I just came down and just told him, listen, life sucks when you lose the Super Bowl. Oh. You know, just being real. It's just, you know, when you leave that game for years. Now, think about it. It's 15 years for me, and I still remember some plays that I could have made in that game to change it. And I told him, I said, you know, you don't want to be on that side of it. You want to be on the side of it where you can reflect and smile and enjoy, look at your ring, uh, your wife has a ring. Uh, your kids are reflecting back on that particular game. You know, 15 years, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why I did something or why this happened uh, because it would have been different. And, and, man, just looking back on it, man, just how that game went for three and a half quarters, to be honest with you, you know, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm about to be 0-1 in my, my Super Bowl speeches. You know, <laughs> uh, this sucks. Uh, but then they won it, so now I'm coming out as victorious as, as you could be as a speaker, man. And I'll tell you this. You're 100% right. My rookie year, we lost the Super Bowl to Drew Brees and his dumb baby up there on that jumbotron. <laughs> when I walked into that locker room, okay, I was too young. I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I had no right. idea. And I was like, oh, we got Peyton. We still got Reg. We got all these guys. Guys, we'll be back next year, man. We didn't, we didn't right. lose. We didn't lose until we chose to lose. Literally, we won 14-0, right. and, and then we chose to lose, and then they got we we're in the lead here. And I walked in that locker room. I still, to this day, have never walked into a more depressed place than that. And then I think, right. I think Peyton left the country for a couple months. Like, I, I, it was a massive ordeal, which is very hard to get over the hump. And it's you're 100% right in that. Can we talk about the environment that was the Philadelphia Eagles, though? Anytime you're a dominant team, you're going to have a spotlight on you. 
And they're all, they're always seem like, and this is pre-social media, and I guess social media drums up drama a lot more than anything else, but your guys' locker room was a topic of conversation at all times. I mean, it literally was. Yeah. It was. It Was that all overblown, you think, or was it an accurate thing? Because distractions can be the death of a team, and it feels like you guys were still damn good and with the amount of things that were being said. It's like, I don't think that's how the NFL works. Uh, it wasn't overblown, and okay. probably it was – it didn't have as much coverage as probably at this particular point in, in our where we are in the world. It would have been more coverage uh, because it's it was just turmoil of the turmoil. It was just too much uh, of nothing going on, you know. And you got to remember, and, and we both have been a part of it, especially in the run that you guys had. When, even when you were young, I mean, there were guys who didn't like Peyton. Yep, there were guys who despised Peyton. There were there were guys who thought Peyton just uh, thought they were just like trash. And so, you know, it was like, well, forget about Peyton, and I'm going to go and play for this guy, or I'm going to do this. And in locker rooms, as we know, success usually breeds uh, egos, big egos. Everybody individually wants their shine. And so that's what you've seen. You've seen a lot of guys not being able to handle the success of making it to the Super Bowl and preparing for what we had to do in order to get back to that particular point. And so they thought it was so easy at that particular point in that year that, oh, we were just going to have it again next year. And so now you start seeing guys pointing the finger at each other. You still seeing guys with websites. You're seeing guys doing getting radio shows. You're seeing guys on TV talking about me, me, me. Uh, and then what, what happened was it just kind of blew over because the main two pieces of it all were me and T.O. So it became that story. But then there was still stuff in, in the wings that, that was going on with other players who were trying to get their shine. And so – you know, you got to understand, in this game that we play, man, everybody's not built for the spotlight. You know, everybody wants to be in the spotlight, but as soon as the spotlight gets hot, you know, they scatter like roaches. And so it's kind of like, oh, it wasn't me. Uh, it's not me. And it's like, wait a minute. Now take a little bit of accountability and let's continue to move forward. Everybody wants to be a lion until it comes time to be do what lions have to do. I mean, that is a quote, Absolutely. That, is a quote that is rings true with the NFL, too. You see a lot of guys that want to be in the NFL – but then to do right. the things to stay in the NFL and be successful in the NFL, they're not about that. They're about flexing no. that they're in the NFL. But have you and T.O. made up since all that? I don't know if that has publicly happened. Do you ever talk to him? I do not. Uh, and nor, nor is my mind even set to, to do that. It's just a point. I mean, really? I've moved on. And, and, and in this world that we live in, you know, it's too much uh, that's going on at this time that, that my focus needs to be on that. Got it. Uh, you know, my focus is on my kids. Uh, that are here at the house for me to be, be the best dad that I could possibly be. My focus is on uh, try to change uh, with social justice and, and police brutality, as well as uh, inequality, to try to change that uh, and speak, you know, try to teach the youth in which I'm training of what's going on in the world so they're prepared. Uh, and, and then also, at, you know, at the end of it all, man, just try to be healthy. Uh, and try to live and be here for my kids yeah. uh, as they continue to grow. I hope you and Terrell get a chance to talk sometime. You guys did a lot of great things together. And obviously, you do what you got to do. You're a man. You make your own decisions. But I hope someday that comes to fruition. A lot of people will love to see it. Go ahead, Dix. Donovan, as you know, Philly is a very, very tough place to play. And, and for Carson Wentz. Tough. It's Carson Wentz. Santa Claus got bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> where, where the backup quarterback wins the Super Bowl. You've had some injury issues, stuff like that. And now they draft another quarterback. Not that that's to replace him. But what do you think Carson Wentz is dealing with as far as skepticism and stuff like that inside the city of Philadelphia? Well, he, he's uh, he's the baby boy over there. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they love Carson out there. Um, 
And so I just think what Carson is just dealing with is what any other quarterback deals with. Um, remember, he came off an MVP season, I think, in his second second year starting. Uh, and then the next year he battled he battled injury again. Uh, Nick Foles steps in, takes his team to a Super Bowl. He's sitting on the sideline. Nick Foles has a statue built in, the, in front of the stadium. <laughs> he comes back the next year. Uh, he gets hurt again. Uh, so, I mean, you know, what he's going through is the fans are like, what's up, man? Like, we need this now. Like, they've invested a million, $100 million into him. He gets hurt last year in the playoffs. Then they draft a quarterback in Jalen Hurts for depth. But, you know, I went through the same thing. I mean, they, they drafted Kevin Cobb, remember, in the second round. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, while I was there, you know, which I didn't think nothing of it. I didn't care anything about it. Um, but what ended up happening after I finished kind of my duration with my contract and then got an extension after that is I was traded to the Redskins and they, they put Kevin Cobb as a starter. Now, it didn't work out well because he had concussions and Mike Vick then stepped in. But that's what we go through as quarterbacks. And so I think it's not just Philadelphia. And people can look at Philadelphia because of the, the reputation that they have. It's all across the league. You know, you, you can't just kind of ride, ride your horse to a, a, a player that, that continuously gets hurt and think it's going to be okay at some point. you got to support yourself and get depth. Let's talk about a quarterback situation in the town that you live. Kyler Murray last year, him and Cliff Kingsbury, towards the end of the season, were causing people problems. I mean, they were causing right. people problems. And he's a freak athlete, obviously, top five pick in both NFL and the MLB. I mean, that is just – I couldn't even fathom being that <laughs> athletic. That has to feel pretty damn – you know, today I'm going to go to the MLB, actually. Hey, you know what? You know what? It feels good. I, I, I have an idea. I'm not to his caliber. But, I, <laughs> but you were ready. You got to tell yourself, Pat, like, yeah, I'm a great athlete. You know, <laughs> maybe not on his level, but I'm still a great athlete. You got the arms out, you know what I'm saying? Guns out. It ain't oh, even yeah. fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank oh, wait a minute. Are those are those jorts? What what kind of shorts you got on? Simon, let's get back to the questions. Right? <laughs> let's get back to the conversation here. He, he got a Madden rating of 77, okay? And obviously, the Madden rating is much more important nowadays than it was back in the day because anytime you're judged from 0 to 100 by somebody you don't know, and that could potentially yep. be perceived as how people view your uh, talent because some random human put you at 0 to 100, he's a 77 overall. But last year, him and Cliff Kingsbury started to figure it out towards the end of the year, I think. I, honestly, the NFL is much different than college for both of them. I assume that both of them had to have something. Now they bring in Nuke. What are your thoughts? Thoughts on Kyler Murray? I think he has a chance to be super special. Like, like I, I think he has a chance to be very, very special. Well, he's a special individual, and he, he's super talented in what he's able to do. You know, you have to take into account um, the kid never lost a high school football game. I believe he won four state titles, and he was a five-star athlete going to Texas A&M, where Cliff Kingsbury, I believe, recruited him, him and Kevin Sumlin. Uh, and then Cliff Kingsbury leaves. Uh, he goes through that first year as his freshman year, doesn't go well, then he transfers. Uh, but you also have to look into account, Baker Mayfield was a Heisman Trophy winner the year before he started. And so everyone, we all know, when you have uh, one of the one of the most focal point, well, you know, one of the guys that you can focus on in college who wins a Heisman, that next quarterback, it's a lot of pressure. This kid stepped in and had better numbers than Baker Mayfield. Uh, and then what he did last year as a rookie you know, and, you know, everyone goes through their little rookie, you know, kind of like stripes. You know, you got to kind of gain them the first six games. After that, he started balling. And so that just goes to tell you a little bit more about Kyler Murray's game, where it's not just all about flash. 
the kid knows how to play the the football game at the position. And so, you know, you talk about his his rating for Madden. I've always had an issue with the ratings in Madden because even when I was on the cover, I don't Woo! think I was ever higher than like eighty six or eighty eight. Yeah. And and first of all, here's a guy who would you say he was seventy seven? Yeah, he was rookie of the year last year. <laughs> He's rookie of the year, and you gave him 77, which you might give some tight ends. I mean, it's amazing because why can't he be in the 84, 86 category and coming off his rookie season? His speed probably should be around 92 because we see how fast he is. Uh, His arm strength and accuracy probably will be in in about 82, 84. Uh, I mean, this it's unbelievable. But, again, everyone gets upset about their, their matting ratings. I don't know what yours was at that particular time, Pat, but my speed was very low. <laughs> hey, listen, Donovan, I the internet loves to pile on <laughs> professional athletes whenever they care about what people are saying because the old adage is like, don't read the press clippings, don't hear what anybody says about you, but that's just not reality, okay? That is not right. re- It's shoved down your throat, basically, so you have to True. see everything like that. So the first True. couple of years that I was in that Madden game, they gave my arm strength, by the way, which we have all seen now. We have all seen. I just didn't have like 15 or something like that. Then they had my oh. speed. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was not happy, Donovan. I mean, I understand you're on the cover, and they disrespected <laughs> you, but I was at the bottom of the totem pole, and they were disrespecting me, too. So it was from top to bottom, Donovan. I was not happy about it. But I don't. if I'm you, and they're putting me on the cover, and they give you an 80-something? Oh, oh. Were you worried about the Madden curse? Uh, you know what? I didn't even think of it at that time. Because remember, it wasn't it wasn't that much of a big deal. I think Eddie George might have been on before me, um, and he got hurt. Um, I don't know who else may have graced the cover and what happened in that situation. But when, when I got hurt, uh, Michael Vick was right after me. And that was the first thing I said to him. Look, man, this curse might be real. <laughs> <laughs> like... Like something's going on, and then he breaks his he breaks his ankle in the preseason game against Baltimore, and so you know the fun the fun thing the funny thing about it um, is the fact that now we can look back on it and say what it was, but then now you look at somebody he's got like Patrick Mahomes is on the cover, boom he gets hurt, now Lamar Jackson's on it this year, and I'm like oh god that would be like Vic when he got hurt like everyone's excited about this year, and then if he gets hurt it's gonna be like oh god. Madden might lose a little stock. (laughs) Well, especially if they're giving cover athletes 86s or whatever, people might turn it down. Donovan, absolutely. I can't thank you enough for joining us, man. This is an incredible conversation. Thank you, man. Next time I'm going to have my my sleeveless shirt going. You know, I had arm day like a couple days ago, so I'm ready to roll with you. I don't know about those shorts, though, Pat. Well, you got to do leg day, too, Donovan. (laughs) Well, hey, you got to do leg day, Donovan. Have a little respect. Have a little respect, Uh, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, man, I didn't eat breakfast yet, man. Don't have me throw up. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Eagles Hall of Famer, legend, Donovan McNabb. Donovan! See you, man. Appreciate you. All right. Appreciate it, Pat. I apologize for interrupting, but I got a question for you. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, what styles you like, and at the price you want? Well, there's a company focused on making that happen. In the world of clothes shopping, there are no consistent sizes. Why should we have to try to guess if a medium is really a medium? Or constantly have to return clothes, purchase online, to find something that fits perfectly. 
Stitch Fix is a personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love effortless. It's a completely different way to shop that's all about you every single time. To get started, you go to stitchfix.com slash pat to set up your profile, and they'll deliver great looks personalized just for you in your colors, your style, and your budget. You pay a $20 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time. There's no subscription required. Plus, shipping, returns, and exchanges are easy and free. Stitch Fix does the hard work for you, making great style effortless for everybody, including men, women, and kids. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash pat, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash pat for 25% off. That's almost a quarter. 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash pat. New way of shopping that fits you perfectly. Stitchfix.com slash pat. Pat, 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Being joined now by a man who might look like he's 12, but he's working as if he's been in the business for 75 years. NFL Network and NFL.com reporter. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find him on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I believe, at Tom Pelissaro. Tom Pelissaro. What's up, boys? Tom, great to chat with you. You've been crushing it right now. I, I probably look like I've, I've been crushed. I didn't remember this was a video interview, so I literally got back from the gym three minutes ago. Oh, 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 yeah. oh yeah. That boy, Tom. We got to keep it going. Hey, I can respect that. I like that you're fitting in some time to get the gains in because what you've been doing on the internet with breaking news, I, I said this on the show the other day, all the information that's coming from the NFL side of things when it comes to the proposals and the negotiations to get back into play have been coming through Tom Pelissaro. Tom, are you and Roger Goodell attached at the hip through this entire process? Or how are you getting all this incredible information right now? Uh, what's fascinating about this is this is the first time that I can remember in terms of any big issue in the NFL where the teams are the last people to know. <laughs> you have going back months conversations between the medical officials, Dr. Alan Sills with the NFL, Dr. Tom Mayer with the NFL Players Association. They've contracted with outside experts, the people at Duke. You have all these people involved. So football ops, which normally is the driving force behind anything like a schedule change to training camp or preseason games, they would be the ones driving, communicating with the clubs. Well, they've kind of been uh, having to defer to the medical people. And so there have been a number of times in recent weeks where I've tweeted something and I've had, whether it's general managers, head coaches, whatever, calling me and saying, really? <laughs> like that, that was in the, the proposal? Like the one uh, last week, I think it was. When the NFL took that initial proposal where it was going to be a 35% escrow of player salaries this year, which would have added up to $1.28 billion, the players said, no, we're not doing that. So the NFL came back and said, hey, what if we say you can cut $40 million from the salary cap and benefits, which if you calculate that out, the player's share, that is also $1.28 billion <laughs> you'd give back this year. So I tweet that, $40 million, and six general managers, I'm not kidding, that night called me to say, "There's no, how could we do that? I said, I figured they asked you. No, they're, they're, there's a general manager's advisory committee. There's the CEC working group. There are these groups of, of GMs and team executives who are supposed to be involved in these decisions, but it's a negotiation. Uh, there are bargaining chips involved. Uh, and some of these proposals that the league continues to make about changing the cap number in 2020 
at this late stage. It's not just a concern for the players. It's a concern for for the people whose job it is to find the players and put their team together because the rosters here on July 23rd are pretty much set. Let's talk about the money thing because it feels like the infectious disease emergency response plans have been okayed by just about everybody, which a lot of the players talked about is one of their main concerns. It's like, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We want to know what the response is going to be. Are players going to be able to go on IR? Is it a football injury? All that's getting settled. But now we're getting into what is the real problem in this entire thing and that's the financials of it all it is being alleged i think via your uh, account and a lot of other people that the nfl wants to make back or take the hit next year where the nflpa wants to kind of uh, uh, spread it across the 11 years of the new cba as a business person wouldn't you want to rather have your losses be spread out over a decade as opposed to in one year why is this even a talking point i feel like everybody who has a brain would be on the nflpa side of this and unless an nfl owner is looking to sell his team within the next five years why would they not want to do that is that a real thing or is this just a bargaining thing to try to get the business uh settled as quickly as possible for the return to play well, it's definitely real. And, and let's start with this. So the, the NFL and the NFLPA since 2011 have had a revenue sharing agreement. It is unlike the previous systems, which were cap credits. This is straight up revenue sharing. The players get 47 or 48 cents on every dollar. So if you have what right now is projected as a $4 billion revenue shortfall this year, players are responsible for about $1.9 billion of it. In other words, if they change nothing this year, then there is about $1.9 billion in player costs, meaning salary cap, as well as benefits that are going to the players that technically, if you did the true-up mechanism, meaning where at the end of every year, because the cap is based upon projections of the following year's revenue, there's never been a multi-billion dollar shortfall. But if there were, and if you did nothing, if you did not cut a deal, what would happen is that true-up would kick in next February or March, and the salary cap would drop about 50, 60, 70 million dollars per club, because if you divide that $1.8 billion revenue lost by 32 teams, Jeez. benefits is also part of that. Salary cap is most of it. The salary cap would plummet. That is not in anybody's interest. So in terms of why the owners want to get back the money now, there's a couple of factors involved. One being, again, that's $50, $60, 70000000 million of revenue that is out of your pocket that would be yours right now. In terms of actually running your business, if you looked at the Packers' revenue numbers uh, and their profit numbers last year – that would be a sizable chunk of it uh, that would be out of your pocket now. NFL teams don't want to take debt onto their franchises right now. Their mm-hmm. argument is put some money back in our pockets one way or another at this stage. If you do nothing, the other thing that could happen, let's say the NFLPA doesn't cut a deal. They say, you know what? We're fine with that entire thing hitting the cap in 2021. Veterans are still going to get cut now. Why? Because teams are going to want to pocket cash. Yeah. There are some teams that aren't going to care. They're going to say, we're going to play to win here. We're maxed out on our salary cap as it is. We're still going to play. We're still going to keep everybody on the roster. There's other teams going, that veteran who might be making $12 million, non-guaranteed, we're moving on from after the season anyway, this might be a way for us in terms of our budgeting as well as our cash flow to say, you know what, we're going to cut ties now. We're going to go younger. Or we're going to ask 10 guys on our team to all take a pay cut. Hey, you got $10 million non-guaranteed this year we don't even know if we're playing all the games this year you might lose the prorated portion of that money we'll guarantee you one million now if you could take a cut down to five million and that potentially could take place across the league so there are multiple stakeholders obviously in this between the players (laughs) the owners the league nobody wants just everything to hit next year but the discrepancy to your point pat is 
the union wants this to be spread out between 2022 and 2030. They want to leave status quo in 2020. This is on their early proposals. 2021, peg the same salary cap that you have this year, and then spread it out over those next nine years. Owners could collect interest on that money that isn't being paid back sooner, but it's basically a $2 billion loan to the players that they would pay off over a decade. The NFL wants to get a large chunk of that back right now. Tom, listen, I just listened to you talk about a lot of finances and business stuff in fantastic fashion, by the way. That is not easy to do what you just did. Very, You wouldn't know that I gave up on the finance major at Boston College after one session of one class <laughs> in transfer to communications, would you? Well, hey, the fact you got into Boston College tells me you got a big-ass brain. I was never even considered by the, the Eagles up there. But And congrats on the, the stadium being named after you, by the way, up there at Boston College. Congratulations. Um, alumni field. The... <laughs> <laughs> Everything you just said right there kind of gets me a little bit worried, okay? Because we see Tom Brady going back into the training facility today. We hear about the rollout plans getting back. Players are being told if you don't report, there's going to be consequences because they figured out the uh, emergency response plan and, and dealing with COVID. And who knows how the inside of facilities are going to look in comparison to what years past it looked like. I assume it's going to be insane. And a lot of the rules contradict each other, but they're trying to do the best they can in the guidelines. From the business side of it, though, from what you're hearing, you can say right now, 100% certainty that the season's going to happen. No problem at all. Let's go. Let's go ahead and have a full season. Let's get it going. Let's get it popping off. You can say that, yeah? Say if it, the past four months have taught me anything, it's that nothing is certain oh, in this world. Tom, just I say would it. say from strictly a labor perspective. All right. Short version of the answer, Article 3 of the Collective Bargaining Agreement is a no-strike, no-lockout clause. You can't lock out the players and tell them you can't come to work. The players can't walk off the job. The only recourse from the players' say side no more, would be... Yeah. Hey, say, say no more, Tom! Yeah. 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 Way to go, Tom! The only recourse from the players' <laughs> side would be if they go in and team reps and players are reporting that the protocols aren't being followed, teams are cheating on the temperature checks or the testing, or this is... Un- you, you could grieve. You could file an expedited grievance for unsafe working conditions and try to get an arbitrator to shut it down until things get fixed. From the owner's side, the only thing that would be possible would be, do you just say, we don't want anybody on the field until the finances are worked out? Remember, they have not yet agreed to what the camp plan is. The NFLPA wants a longer ramp-up period. They want three weeks of strength and conditioning before you even move into unpadded OTA-type practices. The NFL's plan is like five days or six days of strength and conditioning plus walkthroughs before you move into the the on-field stuff. So there's definitely still some gray area here in terms of exactly how this plays out. The league has long pushed to have an economic deal in place prior to players hitting the field. The union, to this point, has not had that same level of urgency, in part because it's July 23rd, it's not August 23rd or September 13th, uh, and with the way that this entire public health situation is evolving, they may have a better idea about can you have fans in the stands, what might the revenue losses be a month from now or six weeks from now than you do right at this at this point. We currently have 53 days until season is supposed to start, 48 days from when training camp is supposed to start July 28th with that whole thing to get figured out. Let's hope they do that, especially in the world that we're living in. Nobody wants to hear a business dispute, especially with all the world that we're currently in. But, hey, that's business, baby. Now, we have about... 45 seconds until the radio ends here, first hour. So if we get cut off in the middle of that for the radio listeners, we will continue the conversation at youtube.com slash the Pat McAfee show with at Tom Pelissaro, who is an incredible insider in this entire thing. And let's talk about your inside sources here. Antonio Brown, 
Okay, Antonio Brown has been a play. What a face there. What a <laughs> face by Tom Pelissar. Antonio Brown went from being a six-round draft pick to, by a lot of people's accounts, best wide receiver in all of football. Okay, Also best punt returner in football if he wants to be. That's just the way it goes. Incredibly talented guy. Forced his way out of Pittsburgh because of uh, disagreements and relationships and out of Oakland. And then obviously allegations arise whenever he was with the Patriots after having seven catches and a touchdown. He leaves, says some things about Robert Kraft, seems to hit rock bottom. Now he's what we all believe is on a way back. He met with Dion. He has a therapist. And then he put out a report today, or last night on Instagram Instagram about how he just wants the NFL to tell him what his punishment's going to be, what his suspension's going to be. He said he's being invested, he's been investigated for 11 months. Now, this comes two days after a lot of people said he was alluding to retirement again, but it feels like he wants to play. And if all of this is accurate in what he posted here about how he's given him all his phones, he's met with a therapist, he's done everything he wants, he just wants to know an answer on how long he'll be suspended, if he'll be suspended for everything that's happened. Is this what you're hearing from the NFL side of things? Can we say that what Antonio Brown wrote here is accurate? And do you see an ending or an outcome in this investigation for the Antonio Brown case happening soon? I'll tell you this. One of the complications is the fact that there is still a civil suit in the state of Florida by a woman who has accused Antonio Brown of sexual harassment, sexual assault. Uh, he obviously already wrapped terrible, up by the way, and right. reached a deal on the, the felony case. Okay, so I think that it seems as if Antonio Brown thought once the deal was reached on the felony case, then that would cause things to ramp up in terms of the NFL being able to wrap up its investigations because one of their core tenets has always been, we're going to let the, the court process play out before we get involved. In other words, if somebody is facing a serious charge, they're going to wait till the investigation's done. They're going to wait till the legal system takes action, and then the NFL will rule. That doesn't mean they couldn't keep Antonio Brown or somebody else off the field uh, through the commissioner's exempt list in the short term, which has been one of the concerns. Part of why Antonio Brown didn't get signed last year was if he got signed, Based on the nature of the allegations, the uh, the personal conduct policy would suggest the league could have just said, even though we're not suspending him, we're keeping him off the field. So this civil suit that continues to play out in the state of Florida, there was actually a mediation that was scheduled last Friday, then it got canceled. In other words, he got close to this being resolved, then it wasn't. And I will just tell you this from the teams I have spoken to, that is the biggest concern is – the allegations in that civil suit, it is about what might come out if that goes to trial, which, according to the people I've spoken to, uh, the attorneys for the woman continue to prepare as if that is going to go to trial. Uh, on top of, with Antonio Brown, you got two qu main questions. Besides, again, the very serious allegations, you have reliability and what's he going to put on social media? Well, in the past three days, he has put, I'm retiring for at least by my count the third time, on Twitter. He'd also made previous statements about that back last August with the Raiders that he retire over the helmet. But last September, last November, and now this past week, he has said, I'm done. And then every time he comes back a couple days later, unretires, and once again last night is putting it on the NFL that, hey, I want the decision now. Well, it's difficult in the experiences that a lot of players have had with the league, Ezekiel Elliott being one uh, recent case where his case dragged on and his attorneys were getting frustrated. Why are they not ruling? Uh, eventually they did, and he got a, a six-game suspension. Uh, with Antonio Brown, because you have a civil case involved, it's a little bit more complicated, and those are the allegations that, from what I understand, has been the biggest concern for teams about, we signed this guy, and not only do we not know, is he going to unretire tomorrow? Is he going to take shots on social media? You know, Is he going to 
with the Patriots. Send threatening messages to somebody that all of a sudden become public. It's all that, but also if all of a sudden some really untoward things were to come out at trial, how would that make the team look? Uh, completely understandable. Thanks for breaking that down for us. I'm intrigued to see how that all plays out. Obviously, terrible allegations. If he ends up being... Um, innocent or that gets settled and figured out and everybody feels as if justice was served i'm excited to see if he can get a chance a third fourth chance back in the league to kind of prove himself as the great that he is and obviously if it ends up the other way i hope justice is served uh tom we can't thank you enough for joining us what an incredible brain the 12 year old who just got out of the gym <laughs> who knows everything follow him at tom pelisaro tom pelisaro yeah. shower next time i promise no, you can't even tell, by the way. You look like you're TV ready right now, honestly. I don't have the guns out, though. Next time, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll cut off the shirt Ooh. for you. Ooh, Tommy. Tom. You want to go? You want to <laughs> Tom, Tom, you don't want that. Tom, you don't want that. Okay? I don't want any part of this. You're absolutely right. I <laughs> want no part of this. Hey, thank you for joining us, man. You're awesome. You got it anytime, buddy. Cheers. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the show. Can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show. Obviously, you have a lot of things that can penetrate your ear holes. The fact that you let this do it uh, is very, very nice of you. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. If not, just act like it never fucking happened, okay? AJ, you have anything to say to the people as they go into an incredible weekend? Maybe motivate them to have the best weekend they could possibly have with the circumstances that we currently are living in. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I hope uh, Diggs' wedding happens uh, how he wants it to here in a couple weeks. Very nice of you. Also, happy birthday to Samantha Ludi, my fiance, soon to be bride. You're the best human on earth. I'm very thankful for you. Happy birthday, Sam. Happy birthday, Sam. Sam. Is she going to take your last name, Pat? What's that? Is she going to take your last name? You know, we haven't had that conversation. I think. I don't know. All right. Did your wife? Yes, she did. She, I mean, she might want to take it back now, but yeah, she did. Oh, no take backsies on that thing. I just had to go down to the courthouse and sign a bunch of things, put my right hand up and say that I wasn't a second cousin with Sam. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. For, a, for a marriage license? Is that what you have to do? Yep. They gave us a list of five questions. It was like, are you a sexual offender? Um, are you over the age of blah, blah, blah? Is the person that is standing next to you that you're going to marry uh, closer than your second cousin? And then everything else, she was like, nope, nope, nope. And then we had to raise our right hand and say that every answer we just gave was the truth. And it was like, we are not cousins. I promise we're not. Thank you. And I'm not a sexual offender, obviously. And we are both of age. And yes, this is an interesting situation. Has anybody ever said, oh, you know what? We are. So <laughs> we got to fucking get out of here. So sorry. We are second cousins. Didn't so. see that coming. I didn't know this was a rule. I honestly had no idea this was going to happen. I thought we just came down, paid 18 bucks cash only, by the way. Jesus. 18 bucks cash only, which you would think in COVID, not the way to do it. Or but, 20. Um, yeah, we made it happen. We're going to get married. Can't wait for it. Hope Diggs gets to do the same, though. You're 100% right. COVID is rude. Mm-hmm. Very rude. But we're getting through it together. Have a great weekend. Happy birthday to Samantha Ludi. You're the greatest. I love you. Can't wait to marry you. Cheers. Have a great weekend. You're the best. Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music.